if we haven't met, um, and I mostly, I'm over at the other campus, so if we've never met or you've never seen me, that's probably why. <laughs> um, I am our women's pastor, and then for your campus, amazing, Anita helps with that, and then I'm also the, I um, oversee our wellness ministry, which the amazing Suzanne helps over here, so we're, we are we are interconnected, which is what I love about Crossroads. Um, and I do love to tell stories. This is so tall. Can I make it smaller? Is this how? Not that small. I got it. I got it. We're getting there. Yay. Okay. I just felt like it was like right here and I was going to not be able to see. That's better. Um, what was I saying? So, yes. So, I love, it's a treat to come over here um, whenever I can. And my husband, Alan, has come before, if maybe you've been here when he's been here speaking, and then we've got two teenage girls, so we are very busy, <laughs> there's a lot happening at our house. But I want to talk to you tonight, I am going to share a little bit of my story, and probably not surprisingly, I'm going to talk about freedom. That's not shocking, right? Because <laughs> we're all wearing our red, white, and blue, and that's on our minds right now. And I was actually over here when we were answering Suzanne's question, like, what is... Um, when you think of the 4th of July, you know, what, what, what are your memories? And I was telling these folks over here, I was like, I'm an army brat. So all holidays for me, I, any holiday, I kind of just think of, well, we just always were with the friends that lived on the base because most of my childhood we were overseas. So it was like, well, who's here? <laughs> That's who we're with. So when I think of the 4th, I just think of being with friends and eating food and um, because that was my upbringing, was the military. And so when I think of freedom, and I think there's, I know there's a lot of things as Americans that we might not all agree on, right? That's no shock. <laughs> but I think we can probably all agree that we do understand that freedom comes from sacrifice. And we all have an understanding that we're here today because someone sacrificed for us to be here, right? We all have that understanding, hopefully, that freedom really isn't free. Someone has to pay for that freedom. And that is something that exists in the kingdom of God as much as it exists in the nation of America. That in God's kingdom, freedom comes through sacrifice. Now, I know it's not going to shock you when I say it's the sacrifice of Jesus. <laughs> that's what we all know. But I think even though that's a phrase we hear a lot and we know that's true, that that's the gospel. Jesus gave his life so that we can be free. I wonder if we struggle to actually believe that because I do. It's so simple that I feel like there's got to be something I'm missing. There's got to be more to it. Like it can't be this simple. And so I want to talk about... Um, the pursuit of freedom, and I want to talk about how the sacrifice of Jesus really does make us free. It really and truly does. I came to salvation at a young age. I was, I think I was five in little Sunday school class. Anybody here remember going to Sunday school class when you were little? Yep, that was me. <laughs> Stephen went Sunday school class. <laughs> and um, that's where I, I, I believed my little childlike little girl faith. I said, I need Jesus. And so I said yes to that, and I asked Jesus to come be my Savior. And that was before life happened. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? Life happens. <laughs> Pain comes. 
And I grew up in a system of abuse and corruption and really going to church and doing the church thing. And then at home, it was something totally different. And so I quickly kind of left the path of just simple, Jesus saves me, and I don't need to have any more than Jesus to be free. I went from that to like, oh, I got to check boxes and follow rules, and (laughs) there's all these things that I need to do because he's not going to love me otherwise. So I really, for most of my growing up years and even into first early years of my marriage, that's how I was living my life. God was to be feared because he was ready to pounce if I didn't do it right. And it wasn't love. It wasn't love. And about 15 years ago, I went on a journey. I started, I'd say about 15. I've kind of lost count. I went on a journey of healing from childhood trauma, all of that pain I just mentioned. I realized through a series of events and people who were in my life that I thought I knew Jesus, but I kind of only knew this version of Jesus that I had crafted through my pain and that maybe there was more to him. And so I started a journey that I'm still on that journey. 15 years later, I realized it doesn't end. (laughs) And it was in that early, it, it didn't take long actually, for that whole belief system to be dismantled, for me to suddenly realize, oh, the freedom's been mine all along. I just didn't know it. I just thought, yeah, but there's still something that he needs me to do to make myself worthy. Like, I mean, it can't just be free. It just can't be free. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm, quote, cured of that because I still wrestle I still have days and moments and things happen and I find myself going, what did I do wrong or what did I miss or what do I need to do better because that's my shadow that I'm really familiar with because that's how I grew up and that's how I was taught and how I was raised. So it's going to be something that I know I'm going to always have to continually bring before Jesus and go, I'm struggling to believe right now. I'm struggling right now because I think that I need to do something to earn your love, or that this is happening because of me being not good enough. That's the struggle and the tension. And I think that even if you didn't grow up like me, maybe you had a, maybe like, well, I had a really great parents and a safe, loving home, and they taught me about Jesus. Even if that's your story, can I tell you that as humans, we all are going to have that struggle? Even if you had a great upbringing and you don't have a lot of trauma, you still are going to have that struggle of, yeah, but what do I have to do? (laughs) Because that's actually like in our human nature. It's in us. And really, if you think about it, society is set up that way, right? Society exists around rules. That's just the reality. We live in a society based on do's and don'ts where we rewarded for the good behavior. And we're not mad about some of that. Like the law is a good thing. I want there to be laws that we don't murder. (laughs) I want there to be laws that we don't steal. So we're not saying that that's all bad, but the way and the systems of the world that we live in, it it creates in us this belief that, yeah, there's no way that God doesn't have a, a rule book so that I can get in. And that's really what can be the hardest thing to accept. And remember I said at the very beginning, I'm going to talk about the simple gospel. It's simple, and yet it takes us our whole life to really understand and believe it. 
because it is so simple. There's a guy named Paul. You've probably heard of him. He wrote most of the New Testament, all those letters. Um, And Paul was a really busy guy. So Paul planted a ton of churches. So pretty much all the letters that you read in the New Testament that Paul wrote, he's writing to a church that he planted. And so he's writing this, you know, check in on them, make some corrections, things like that. Well, this is unique. The book of Romans, Paul wrote it, but he wrote it to this church that he did not plant. And the Roman church was very interesting because, you guys okay with a little tiny bit of history? Is that okay? Because I love history. I am a storyteller and I love history. So I'm going to tell you some history, okay? So the Roman church was made up of mostly Gentiles. Now, if you don't know what that word means, it just means not Jewish. Anyone not, I'm a Gentile, okay? Unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. So that's what Gentiles are. So the Roman church is made up of mostly Gentiles because years before he writes this letter, the Jews had been exiled from Rome by the emperor. He kicked him out and got mad, whatever. That wasn't uncommon, right? So all of the Jews had left. So all there was in the Roman church was Gentiles. Well, when he writes this letter, the Jews have been welcomed back. To, to Rome. And so the Jewish people are coming back and they're going to mix with the Gentiles and they're going to be one church. So because Paul didn't plant this church, he's kind of writing this letter kind of like a really good father, a good papa that's like, I just want to make sure that you guys have the true, clear gospel. Like, I don't know who, who told you what, but we're just going to make sure the record is straight. And so if you've ever heard the phrase, maybe you haven't, and that's fine, the Romans road to salvation, that's kind of a phrase you'll sometimes hear, that comes from the book of Romans because Paul literally, the book of Romans, he lays out salvation. He lays out the gospel because he wants the church in Rome. I was like, I want to make sure that you understand the true, simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's writing this letter because he's hoping that they're going to support him on his missionary trip to Spain because the Roman church had a lot of money. So this is a unique letter that Paul wrote. And I want to read just a few verses that pack a pretty powerful punch. And it's in Romans 8, and we're going to have it on the screen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans 8. But if you don't, totally just follow on the screen. That's, that is totally okay. And I want to read starting in verse 1, and this is what it says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ, the law of the spirit of life set men free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and so condemned sin in sinful men. Okay, there's a lot there, friends. Just in those three verses, okay? There's a lot. And it's really powerful. And I want to break it down a little bit. So did you see in that last part, is it, can we put it back up there? Is that okay? Did you see in that last part where it says, what the law was powerless to do, God did? So that poses the question, well, what was the law powerless to do? And when Paul's talking about the law, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the law that Israel lived under for thousands of years, God's law. The system that God gave them to be able to have a relationship with him that was temporary. It only lasted until Christ, but that's the law. So what is the law powerless to do? It's powerless to make us right. Right? 
Why is that? Because do you think that you have to teach a two-year-old to be selfish? Or do they just seem to know how to not share the cookie? Do we have to teach them to be selfish or do we have to teach them to be kind? We have to teach them to be kind. Why? Because it's in us. The, the sin and the evil and the corruption, that's how we're born, friends. And so there was no system out here in the world. There was no outside thing that was ever going to fix that because it's in us. And so Paul's like, the law was powerless to make you right, but he sent his son. For centuries, Israel um, lived in the system of God's law. And if you read the Old Testament, you're going to see a pattern. They come to God, they rebel. They come to God, and they rebel. And they come to God, and it's just, just the story. It's leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. Because they, because humans don't know how to be faithful. We don't have it in us to be good and right and true. And that's what the story of Israel proves to us. So that's what the law was powerless to do. But if you go back up to the beginning where he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you read that and you hear that and you think, that sounds great, but how do I really know that that's true? Well, I have proof. I want to look at something in Matthew, but first I want to kind of explain a really cool thing that happened before Jesus that shows us the proof of who Jesus is and what he did for us. So, remember I said that Israel lived in a system of sacrifice? Well, in the center of this system was the temple. And this temple was in the city of Jerusalem. It was called the Holy City in Israel. And everything in Israel pointed towards that temple because that temple housed the presence of God. If you wanted to worship God, you had to go to the temple because that's where he was. And when you sinned, you had to go to the temple with your sacrifice, the animal sacrifice that would cover your sins. So everything in Israel revolved around the temple. And I would encourage you, I can't, it's amazing, I can't spend time on it today. You, we could spend weeks talking about all the different things in the temple and how all of it points to Jesus and how even down to the details, like the colors of the fabrics. And I mean, it's amazing how God set this whole system up and it all pointed to one man. But I can't go into all that today, but we, I want to focus on one little piece of that. That's going to give you, like I said, that proof that you're no longer condemned. So the temple was made up of courts. And remember I said that Israel went towards the temple to worship. If they wanted to worship God, they had to go there. And God's specific presence, like literal, I'm not talking metaphoric, like his literal presence was housed in what was called the Holy of Holies. It was the deepest place in the temple. And you would progress towards that place because you were progressing towards the presence of God. Now, the outer court, everyone could come. Israeli, even Gentiles, anyone could come to the outer court. But the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was, no one could go. There was a curtain. Some people call it, some translations in the Bible say veil. And they say it was as thick as a man's hand. 
And that separated all of humanity from the presence of God because he was that holy and humans were that unholy. Once a year, on what was called the Day of Atonement, the high priest, because Israel always had one high priest, and that high priest could take an offering and could go behind the veil, and that offering would be for the whole of Israel. So it, because it was an animal sacrifice, which wasn't a perfect sacrifice, it had to be done every year. So it was essentially like Israel saying, God, we're really... We're sinners, so we're just going to try to start fresh today. And then that would go for a year, and then they go, okay, we're back to start fresh today because the sin was just always present. The holiest place was hidden from view because nothing could make us quite right. I want to read to you that proof that there is now no condemnation. Matthew 27, 51 Jesus is on the cross, and he's dying. And it says in verse 51, When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There's your proof that you are no longer condemned because God himself, when his son took his last breath, because he was the perfect sacrifice, because the blood of Jesus was spotless, God said, I'll rip the veil myself because I want you to understand that the law is finished. I want you to understand that there is now nothing that will separate you from my presence. What had been a system for thousands of years that only allowed one man in is now open to us because of the one man who gave up his life. So let's go back and read again what Paul said in light of that truth because it's kind of powerful if you understand what happened when Jesus died on that cross. Therefore, there is now no condemnation Another word for condemnation is death. There is now no death for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the spirit of life set men free from the law of sin and death. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son in the likeness of man, sinful man, to be a sin offering, and so condemned sin and sinful men. Notice the word condemned is used twice. There's no condemnation for us because Jesus condemns the sin that is in us. Jesus puts to death the sin that wants to keep us from the presence of God. And because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, there's nothing that stops you from being able to get to the presence of God. There's no veil. There's nothing in the way. As I was preparing this, I came across something in a, in a studying that this sentence kind of slapped me in the face in a good way. So I think it's going to hopefully slap you in the face in a good way. <laughs> this is what it said. The verdict is not less 
condemnation. That's what many believers think, that our standing has improved in Jesus. It has not been improved. It has been completely transformed, changed to a status of no condemnation. That hit me because that is the struggle, that we kind of think, okay, Jesus did it, but it's just like I'm a little bit better now. Like, there's probably still something in the way. There's probably still like a thin curtain there. Like, I probably can't just come to the presence of God because, like, I'm a sinner, and I've done all these things. The simple gospel, friends, is that there is no condemnation. The simple gospel is that your standing is not improved. It is completely transformed. What you have to understand is that when Adam and Eve made the decision they made in the garden, it poisoned the bloodline. What Jesus did on the cross redeems the bloodline. So when you go before the holy place, which is that presence of God, all he sees is clean, pure blood. He doesn't see sin. The verdict is not less condemnation. It's no condemnation. Now, I think where we get tripped up on this is that we confuse salvation, and there's a fancy Bible word I'm going to use here. We confuse salvation with sanctification. Now, if you don't know what sanctification means, it's just a fancy way of saying the process of becoming like. So we are saved as a gift. Paul makes that real clear. There's nothing you can do except say yes, except believe. That's it. You believe on Christ, and that's how you're saved. And then, because you've believed on Christ, you now have a power in you to help you make the right choices. Raise your hand if you've sinned one time since you've met Jesus. Okay. See? You can't do it. Right? You don't have the power in you to do it. You're not capable. I'm not capable of never sinning. But we're washed in the blood of Jesus. And the process that we get to walk is a process of the image of God inside of you. Because remember, what did, G- what did God say in Genesis? Let us make man in our image. There's an image in you. And it's the image of God. And sin is what messed it up and scratched it up and marred that image. The process, the pursuit of this freedom is how that image is restored fully. Maybe a way to understand it. I, I am a storyteller, so I like visuals. And I was trying to think of a good visual. And the picture that I got in my mind as I was preparing is, maybe it's kind of like this. You've got two paths to choose. This one, total darkness. But it's open to you. There's no gate stopping you. You can go down that path whenever you want. This path, there's a gate that you can't get through. But there's light on that path. But you can see that it's going to be, like, there's some potholes and and it's got shrubbery growing on. And, like, it's not going to be the easy path, but it's the path with light on it. So you want to go down that path. Salvation is just Jesus opening the gate. 
Sanctification is just that process of, oh, there's a pothole. Oh, you fell in that pothole. Okay, let's learn how you fell in that pothole so that we don't fall in the next pothole. That's all that is. But the enemy of your soul is going to come to you with the lie. When you mess up and fall in that pothole, you were never really saved. See, if you were, you wouldn't have done that. If you really knew Jesus, you, you wouldn't make mistakes. And so what do we do? We start to believe. Oh, it's just less condemnation. There's still some condemnation. There's still some guilt and shame that I need to walk in because I can't do it perfectly. Friends, the gate is open. When you say yes and believe on Jesus, the gate is open. There's nothing you can do to make yourself worthy. One of my favorite verses is Galatians 5, 1, and it says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. That's why he did it. He did it so you could be free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It takes some humility to walk this path because we have to own the fact that we're sinners, right? We have to own it. We have to go, yep, I can't do it by myself. I don't have it in me. So there's a humility that's required to follow Jesus because we have to rely on him. But when Paul says, don't be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, he's not just talking about sin. He's actually talking about religion. He's actually saying, don't be burdened again by this idea that you need to fulfill the law because you can't. And you're going to live in bondage if you think that's your way in. It's like, don't be burdened because the law was a burden for humans. Because all it did was show us that we couldn't. So Paul's like, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. The simple gospel is that there's nothing you can do but say yes. And we live in a world full of rules. We live in a world of religion. We still try to create systems to God that we think that's the way. And if you do the, these things and check these boxes, that's how you get in. And God's going, I did it already. I did it for you because you couldn't do it. You don't have it in you to do it. So let me come, he says, and let me wash the poison out of your blood and make it clean. And can I tell you that when you start understanding this truth, the freedom that will come and the joy to, in following Jesus, because you won't have to follow out of fear. You'll be able to follow out of joy because you realize you are loved and you are cherished and you are chosen. That's the gospel, friends. And I think we know it, but I think sometimes we forget it. Because our enemy doesn't want us to believe this. Because if we believe this, we become really powerful against him. And so if he can throw condemnation at us, if he can keep us squashed under that weight of, you're not good enough, you've got to get it right, then we'll never step fully into who God's called us to be. We're sons and daughters. We're not beggars. 
I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as you know, you can see on your tables there, it's Communion Sunday. I actually forgot that when I was putting this together. And when I found out, I was like, oh my gosh, it's perfect. (laughs) So I think after talking about the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus and the cross and the sacrifice... To me, it feels really appropriate for us to take communion together. I'm going to grab one because I forgot to grab one. And so I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open up that first little thingy there on the top and get the bread out. I just want you to try to picture for a minute because we have the story in scripture of Jesus, the night that he did this. This is, we get this from him. He's the one who taught us, right? And he's with his disciples. And this is a meal that they've shared a hundred times. This has been for centuries has been a tradition, the Passover meal where where Israel would gather and they would remember that God had delivered them from Egypt. And Jesus on this night with his disciples, he says... I'm going to change everything tomorrow. I'm going to get on a cross tomorrow, and my body is going to take your place. And he says, so when you eat this bread, remember me, because it's my blood and my body that's setting you free. So I want to invite you to go ahead and take the bread and, and remember the body of Jesus. said my blood's gonna wash you clean my blood's gonna replace the poison in your blood the poison that you can't get out no matter how hard you try he's like I'm going to be the sacrifice that makes your blood clean again because it's my blood running through your veins so can we take this and remember that he makes us clean he washes us white as snow let's drink that and remember So we're going to go into worship. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to let this sink deep into your soul. If you're here and you're battling some feelings of I'm not good enough. Or the fear that you need to do some things to make yourself better. All of those lies that we all struggle with. If you're feeling any of that, can I just encourage you? Like you need to just worship and sing it out and and let the truth wash over you that there is now no condemnation in Christ you are not dead you are alive you now have access to the presence of God you don't have to have someone do it for you so we're gonna if you guys don't mind I'd love it if we could stand for worship (laughs) and if you want to stay where you're at great if you want to come up front and and have some time with the Lord you can do that But let's worship together and celebrate that there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus.